Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kaborik, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And Tara Vanderdusen, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space, so you can better understand our food system and feel connected to the hands that feed us. All right, you guys, welcome to episode 98. I cannot believe we're knocking on the door of 100 episodes of Discover Ag. But today we are back with month two of our summer debunking series, where twice a month we give our millennial two cents on a negative film that kind of portrays, I guess, agriculture, farming, and food in a way that you know we do not believe with, um, as well as highlight one we do support and stand with. Yeah, this month we're doing Cowspiracy and Sacred Cow. So Sacred Cow will be the supporting one, and we will have a special guest. And today we will be debunking Cowspiracy. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> mm. I do feel like daunting music is fitting for sure. Uh, so maybe a little background on this. I think like this is like my new role on the podcast is like, <laughs> let me tell you what's going on here. So a little rundown of this fabulous <laughs> film. Um, it really, <laughs> I don't might know what to different adjective miss, yeah. miss uh, background information. Terrible. I don't know. This film, um, it basically starts out like very doomsday. The world is ending. Climate change is you know, going to end the world. It's going to kill us all. What we, what can we do about it is kind of like the question that's posed and whose fault is it? And then dun, 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 dun again, it's animal ag's fault. Like that's the big revelation. And the animal ag is like the big bad ag industry. And it is lobbying to cover this all up. Like it is a massive, you know, global effort that ag is that animal ag is covering up how terrible it is. And then it ends with our favorite go vegan Mm -hmm. call to action. Yeah. So I guess diving right into it. I had actually not watched Cowspiracy ever. I have not watched any of the negative documentaries out there. So my very first thoughts, I was not impressed. I, kept thinking this is what the hype is about. This is the docu-series, the documentary that like transformed or was revolutionary for our generation at that time. I thought it was really poor quality, the lighting, the narration. I just didn't get any of it. And then it took me a second to remember, oh yeah, this is 10 years old. And I thought, okay, that makes sense with some of this filming. Yeah, this movie has not aged well. It, it came out in 2014. I uh, There is a lot that has been retracted and what, like, where they've had to come out and apologize. We'll get into all of that later. But I will say, like, I had watched it before. It's weird to me that you've never watched all these. I've watched all of them and then some. Like, what the hell? Like, I've watched them all. Um, so this was actually my second time watching it. I allow no negative energy into my aura. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, though, that that was part of the hype with it. And, like, I think that it was intentional for them to seem like like the little tiny filmmaker. Let's start with saying it was funded by Leonardo DiCaprio. There was, it, like, it had money, too, to film this. But I think they wanted it to be, like, a single guy out on his journey, his life quest to show you the truth about the big bag, bad at animal ag industry. Wow. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> um that's so I do think it was like intentional almost. There were definitely tactics that I want to dive into a second, but 
again, I want to walk through this beginning experience for me because I paused the, the docu series a few minutes into it. And I actually Googled it because I, after I realized how old it was, I said, I want to see what pops up when you Google Cowspiracy for it being so old. The first thing that pops up is the Cowspiracy Cowspiracy website itself. So it has done an excellent job of SEO of remaining at the very top and not letting any debunking come above it. Below that, um, and it actually had uh, it pulled out a quote from it that says, Cowspiracy may be the most important film made to inspire saving the planet, a documentary that will rock and inspire the environmental movement. Quote Darren, dot, 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 dot. So we don't even know who this comes from, what it's about, but that is the first thing you see when you Google it. Below that comes Netflix, Wikipedia, uh, a rating of 4.5 stars, along with another quote about how the viewer was initially hesitant to watch this title because it made it sound like a conspiracy theory. But after seeing it, it was pleasantly surprised that it is full of quality science. It takes a very evidence-based approach. It deals with the environmental impact of meat and dairy, dot, 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 dot. Oh my gosh. Okay. That quote in itself. I know. And it's insane that that is what is still representing this film 10 years out. You have to scroll down even further below to finally get to one of the first very debunkings of it, which is crazy to me because there is a ton of rebuttals out there about this. Like we're not the first ones to do this. There's a lot of rebuttals. Actually, I think that maybe that's one of the things I've been happy to see with all of this and moving into next month too is how many people have been putting in the time and the work to help like debunk these and give people the facts. So there is a few debunking. You sent me one. um, There's a rancher that's interviewed in this and you sent me like how she was kind of like misrepresented, which we'll get into. Um, Frank Mitloner, our out there, UC Davis doing the work. Frank's rebuttal was really good. Uh, There's lots out there. So there's a lot that we're going to be coming to you guys with for this. Which makes me, I want to ask you one thing before we dive into some of, you know, the finer details of this. Do you think with all those rebuttals out there, it is still, what's the larger percentage? Do people hear Cowspiracy and think it is factual documentary? Or do you think people now hear Cowspiracy and think, oh no, that's been like rebuttaled, sham, don't watch it? No, I think people still take it at face value. I think that, um, gosh, there's so many things to cover and we're going to like get into it, but we're going to get into uh, FAO's Livestock's Long Shadow, but we covered a few months ago about the new report from FAO that came out saying like animal ag is good. We need it as a part of our diets. And one of the things I said when we recorded that was like, I wonder if this will have the same impact as Livestock's Long Shadow. And I don't know if it will, because like, I still think people like see all of this and take it at face value and think it's true and accurate and like take it to heart. I don't know. So no, I don't think people look back now and are like, oh yeah, that was like so stupid. Okay. So maybe on that note, since you brought up Livestock Long Shadow, let's just dive right into it because that is, I think one of the first glaring problems that this film is built on a very unsolved foundation. (laughs) Very unsolid foundation. So, I mean- Livestock's Long Shadow has been, it was, you know, a UN FAO report. It has been like debunked essentially too. Um, actually, Dr. Frank Mintlerner was one of the people that came out and said it was wrong. And they have had to correct like their initial um, calculations that they've had to reduce their uh, emissions down to, it was actually I think it was originally 18%. And they've actually come back and said that it's now 145 
percent. Um, but you know, that still is problematic. You know, agriculture had an entire life cycle analysis done. Um, transportation has not. I saw a report when we were researching for this that if transportation did the same analysis as ag, that their emissions would be as much as 1.5 times higher than what was portrayed in that. So yeah, the all of, you know, getting into all of that, this is not good starting point for this film to be on solid ground. It is crazy to me that the basis of Livestock Long Shadow was that animal agriculture had a full life cycle assessment and transportation didn't. And somehow that passed. I mean, it didn't, but, you know, it got out there enough. Yeah, like to share a little bit more, they did tailpipe emissions for cars. So just what was coming out of the tailpipe, not you know, what it took to build the cars, what it's going to take for them to break down, not what it goes into producing all of the different things that go into a car. But for animal ag, they did that. Like every single piece of the life cycle of animal ag and agriculture was analyzed. That is a massive glaring difference. So you said that they had to come out and retract those numbers. Cowspiracy did the same thing. In 2018, they were forced to send out a tweet, a tweet, you know, they didn't take it out of their film or do anything like that. They sent out a tweet that said animal agriculture is responsible for 18% of greenhouse gas emissions. And then they went on still to say more than the combined exhaust from all transportation. And then they had a lovely graphic to, you know, accompany that. I didn't watch it, but it was just not sincere. It was not apologetic. You can tell that they don't really care. And they still tried to twist that 18%. I don't know if they had to come out and do the 14.5%, but it was just like, I don't know. It was like when I asked my kids to apologize to each other, like you two are fighting, you know, like apologize and it's not sincere and they don't want to do it and they don't mean it, but they say like, sorry and stomp off. Yeah. I think it's worth noting in this film, they originally said that agriculture accounted for 51% of total greenhouse gas emissions. And I saw a funny quote that was like, basically someone whipped the data until it told them what they wanted to say. And that they just kept manipulating the data until they got somebody got 51%. And then that's what they put in this film. Um, But yeah, they came back out and said 18. I didn't see anywhere where they actually said 14, which is the accurate one. And even that, in our episode uh, with Dr. Mittloner, he gave such a great example that in countries that don't have like transportation, ag is going to be a higher percentage. And that's actually why I hate using global numbers because it's extremely misleading. I I know why we do it. People want to know what is ag, but in like sub-Saharan Africa where, you know, you may have still dirt floors and no transportation, obviously agriculture is going to be a really large percent for those countries, which then skews other data in other places. Yeah, the debate of like global and local numbers and twisting them and using them in the same conversation. I feel like we talk a lot about how you can cherry pick which one better serves your narrative at the time and insert that one. If it's like a local number that's wowing, then they'll use the nation, you know, whichever one, maybe it's US's, maybe it's China's. And then if they want something else to paint the picture, then they'll use the global one. So like, you really do need to pay attention to those fine details. The other thing I want to point out, because they, I feel like built the foundation of this film on Livestock Long Shadow, but they also quoted a ton at the very beginning, the World Watch Institute, which again, it feels like they're coming to the table with these very factual, scientific, you know, names that people aren't aware of that sound like these professional organizations. And again, this was another non-peer reviewed and it has equally been as rejected by the scientific community for methods and numbers that were calculated within it as Livestock Long Shadow was. So truly the foundation of this film is just built on shoddy, crappy research, like period. 
if you're looking to combat cowspiracy, honing in on those two things that the sources they use aren't credible and have been debunked by scientific communities is a pretty strong like uh, argument to bring to the conversation, I think. But I do think that that was one of the really big tactics that stood out to me was like the overwhelm the audience approach, just like the whole doomsday attitude, like throw all these terrible numbers at them, but then like never really dive into them, never get into it, never share the sources, never quote anything of any substance, just like bombard the audience and then jump from topic to topic. Like there was one point where they were talking about runoff of uh, fertilizer into the ocean and literally they never even finish the sentence or like the thought process there and jump to uh, overfishing. They jumped from talking about dairy to killing elephants at one point. Then they were talking about horses and wolves. It was just like you couldn't even finish a thought because they didn't have, I feel like because they didn't have the facts to back up some of the things they were saying. And then they they moved on to the next topic that was going to scare you, terrify you, and, you know, just invoke all those fear emotions. 100% actually wrote that down in my notes that I feel like they intentionally covered nothing in depth and everything a little bit. Like you said, to overwhelm. It's like once they got started, they pretty much changed and you couldn't keep up. One that really stood out to me as an example that I wrote down of this was the water when they were talking about well, all forms of water, which again added to the confusion for me. But they jumped, there were so many numbers. They jumped around so often. I could not keep up. I have 34 trillion gallons of water, 1,500 gallons per day per person. A half of that is meat and milk. Water intensive, 660 gallons for a burger, but then it changes to 2,500 gallons for a burger. I mean, it was so confusing that basically you left just being like, wow, a lot of water, that's bad. And you couldn't, I almost felt like, I wanted to sit down and research those numbers and I couldn't even keep up fast enough to write down the numbers to debunk them. Like I felt it was very intentional to just overload me with water numbers that scared me to death and then move on. Yes. And they loved their graphs. They loved their like, you know, this is how much water this uses. And it was like a little tiny bar. And then like, this is how much beef uses. And they like go crazy. It kind of reminded me of like the Al Gore with the hockey stick, like graph where it was like, we've been going at this really down and then like shot up and, you know, like you can skew graphs to look the way you want and have like a bigger impact on like small versus mm-hmm. large. And I felt like they did that a ton. And then, yeah, on the water thing, I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, uh, our stance on, you know, blue water versus green water. They never talked about that, that, you know, most of the water used for animal ag is green water. So it is precipitation that falls on the lovely sand. Nebraska sandhills and that your cattle are out grazing and they eat that grass and they're considering that water use. That is completely different than blue water, which is, you know, your freshwater, your aquifers, your lakes, not comparing again, not comparing apples to oranges, completely different, but just using the biggest numbers that were out there and putting it out there as fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people love to distort the blue water, green water. I feel like we talk about that so much and so many people have talked about it. And yet still, again, it's just hard to unring that bell, which is basically the premise of cowspiracy. You mentioned elephants a few seconds ago, and I cannot stop thinking about it because it seems funny, like for listeners. And I think even watching it, you're kind of just, I don't know, like you said, elephants, like what's going on. But if you actually dissect that moment, it is a for me, a pretty big moment in the movie because 
that is when they were talking about Alan Savory. And I noticed that this film never touches on regenerative agriculture at all. Not the concept, not the idea, you know, not quote unquote conventional versus regenerative. Like it is never introduced in there at all. At first I wondered, is this because in 2014 it wasn't, you know, quote unquote trending then, right? Did Kip, was Kip Mm -hmm. not aware of it? And then I was like, Natalie, you are being way too nice. (laughs) Of course, Kip (laughs) is aware of this. He's talking about Alan Savory. Like Alan Savory has been on the internet talking about this for a very, very long time. So then obviously cynical Natalie came out, which is, I feel like more often than not, Natalie. Our favorite, Natalie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I realized, again, he intentionally did this. He did not want to have to even dip his toe in the regenerative water discussion. He didn't want to talk about anything positive that cattle can do, grazing, anything that has to do with the positives of agriculture. So what do they do instead? They intentionally paint Alan Savory as untrustworthy. And I thought that was a very tactical move because they brought up about, I didn't research this, but apparently what they're saying, which I would not take it as factual because it's in conspiracy, but they're saying Alan Savory messed up um, kind of an idea he had with elephants. Like it was a belief system he had gone wrong. Thus, Alan Savory's belief system about regenerative agriculture cannot be true. Do not trust him. He is unfactual, period. Move on. It was so quick, but it was so intentional. And I thought so well done that people, anyone who brings Alan Savory up to the cowspiracy conversation, they'll say, oh, well, he, he totally messed up with elephants. Like you can't even trust him and then go on. Well, and they, it was another great tactic of like, who wants to see elephants being killed, right? Like it was just like, nobody wants that. So it it almost like kills the argument right there where it starts because you can't argue with emotion of the fact that like, if we don't even know, like, I love that you said, you know, we have to take all of this with a grain of salt because you can't even trust anything in this movie at all at face value. But like, that's what they used is that, that fear. And I think that that kind of goes into like the experts, quote unquote, that they interviewed in this film was kind of a joke. They didn't have a single climate expert on the show at all. They don't give credentials for people. There was one professor who kind of briefly talked about methane and how it breaks down really quickly. And I got kind of excited. I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to talk about how like animal ag can actually like help us and be a part of the solution. No, that was it. Just like methane's terrible. Everything's terrible. And I just wanted them to like you know, go go a layer deeper, get into the nuance of the conversation. But it wasn't. It was methane is, you know, extremely powerful. It breaks down in the atmosphere. So we need to get rid of all of animal ag. Like classic. We know that speech. We've heard it before. I like how we even allowed ourselves to have a little bit of hope throughout the video. (laughs) Like they would actually talk about the methane positives. I know. Um, It's funny you bring up the experts because I did look into a little bit about them. So I noticed that in the title of the film, they are quoted or, you know, like underneath them as they're talking, whatever that, that title would be, I guess, or the little, I don't know, you know, the bar that shows their name and like their title. Yes. It said environmental researcher. Uh, one was environmental ethics author. And then the last one they never even put. They just put like, I think he was from a university or something. But uh, come to find out the quote unquote environmental researcher who was, I feel like, honestly, the statistical advisor in the show, a vegan dentist, you guys, a freaking vegan dentist. That is what he is. I know. Can we all just take a second, pause, laugh? Like that is the credible source of vegan dentist. He actually has a book called Comfortably Unaware that uh, apparently a lot of the facts and statistics from the show are pulled from. And it's even thought that the basis of this film was from his book, 
the comfortably unaware, which is kind of crazy. Oh, man, this just (laughs) this is like a whole nother can of worms we've got to get into. It's they wanted so a big premise of this movie was they were trying to interview all of these um, environmental groups and like none of them would take an interview with this film. And they basically painted it as like the big bad animal ag. There we have it again. Lobbying is keeping these environmental groups from speaking out about animal agriculture. And it didn't matter how many times the experts at actual environmental groups would be like the biggest issue is transportation. The biggest issue is cars. Like they, they, they listed off so many big issues and like, how can we change? Uh, how can we improve, you know, fishing and all these things. And every time he would be like, what about animal ag? And then he'd be like, see, they're all lying to us. And like, that was like, the biggest premise of this movie. And it made me think though, how many of these environmental groups actually were like, I don't want to be associated with this movie. Like could see like the writing on the wall that this was very like unfactual and didn't want to be associated with it. I don't think it had anything to do with like animal ag (laughs) paying environmental groups to not talk to Cowspiracy, contrary to what Cowspiracy wanted us to say. Well, there was the one in the film that repeatedly declined him and he intentionally showed rep repetitive declinations and i cannot remember who what even it was i think it was greenpeace wasn't that one the greenpeace one Mm -hmm. yeah and so then greenpeace like is in on it you know they're in on animal ag killing the planet and that you know we shouldn't support greenpeace i thought the one group um the sierra club was (laughs) quoted and i had to laugh because i've had my fair share of run-ins with the sierra club um but they're you know a big environmental group but i feel like they're one of the ones I don't know, just less, I don't know, founded in science maybe a little. So it just didn't surprise me that they were quoted in this. Like Sierra Club is against hunting. They're against, I mean, they're against like everything. Um, and so I it, I did get a little crackle that yeah. they were You're like, makes sense. Quoted. I can see that. But one of the people that was interviewed that I thought was interesting was our friends at Animal Ag Alliance. And I actually, you know, we both are big supporters of them, love them. And they were interviewed in this. And I, this is like a complex conversation that I do want to get into. Like I was, part of me was glad to see them because I'm a person who believes like if we constantly are like, no, we won't be interviewed. No, we won't respond. It makes us look bad. But at the same time, if I had to guess a lot of the people in this film were misled on what this documentary was going to be about and how they were going to be portrayed. And I think Animal Ag was probably one of those. I have actually been asked to do interviews and some of them I have felt like just a little unsure of. And so I've sent them off to like have, um, you know, uh, the checkoff or NCBA or someone help me vet. And I have been informed a couple of times, like decline, like some of the past work they've been doing is, you know, not something we feel like you should be opening yourself, your family and the industry too. But as you said, it's like, if we don't go on, then who's going to speak for us? But then you feel like you go on. And this is a perfect example of you go on and you still do a good job. And it's twisted because this ranching family that he interviewed, I actually found a podcast she was on that later came, you know, I think it was like two years later where she talks about her experience. And it is very interesting. I want to dive into this for a second. So this is a regenerative ranching family in California. Um, She said that they reached out and were told that they are filming on quote unquote sustainability. 
they introduce themselves as two producers that want to create this docu-series on or documentary on sustainability. She said this was her very first film, so there was no background for her to do research on him on. She said when they sat down for the interview, you could tell they were asking very leading questions um, to which we'll obviously later find out to twist their words and lie in their film. She said about halfway through the interview, it became very apparent what they were doing. She said they had no ecological or biological background, the way they talked about things, the questions they asked. She just said she had they, her and her husband who were filmed and also her children, which I thought was interesting. It makes you wonder about opening up your family when you do these interviews, as opposed to just yourself doing these interviews. But she said it, they, what they were asking, they just, the questions didn't make sense. They didn't have a good background understanding of anything. She said they actually cut the interview short because they got this feeling halfway through. They didn't feel good. She said they left and they were like, what? That was so weird. She said there was kind of a subtle vegan vegetarian hint of it, but not total. Like it wasn't rampant. She just said you felt, you could tell they were doing the leading questions. She said that was very, very evident to us. They were not even notified this film came out. Oh my gosh. So Cowspiracy was released. They were not notified by the producers at all. They just found out later on. And she actually talks about, because one of the things in there, she's quoted as saying, livestock have no carbon footprint. She shares on this podcast what the question was and what she actually answered and how they edited and pulled out livestock has no carbon footprint from that. So I share this not because like to defend this rancher. I share this because I feel like as a firsthand testimony of exactly what this interview with that family, you know, how it was conducted and twisted to their benefit. And I believe probably every single other interview in this episode as well. That leads me to the dairy farming side of things. They highlighted a dairy farmer, which again, like I would love to kind of, I wish I had a podcast on the dairy farmer. Like what was told to him? What did he think this was going to be about? But I could not believe some of the things they filmed on the dairy. Uh, you know, they classic, they put sad music, dark lighting, like it's not, you know, bright lights that, you know, very like dark and dingy, just filming. That's just filming. And then they filmed a downer cow, which I was like, oh, I could have just died on the inside. Like if you've ever had a big animal, like even a big dog that's sick, getting them up is very difficult. It does not look pretty. It is not... Um, nice looking on film. Actually, Carrie Derry has a really good post that was like, like about downer cows and how it looks when you film it. Obviously, they gave absolutely zero context to what was going on. So you just see this cow being treated. Not okay. I wonder how the dairy farmer feels now about it. And like, I don't know, just all, his words too. I mean, they were you could tell his words had been I feel like so twisted, so manipulated. And I like really felt bad for him. I was going to say, I just feel really bad for the people who put themselves out there to try and defend the industry that they're probably very passionate about. And then this is what happened. Do you know who I don't feel bad for? Oh, I have a guess, but who? The vegan rancher. <laughs> I wanted to like murder that man halfway through <laughs> the uh, film. Uh, yeah, they find like the one rancher turned vegan and like quoted him the entire article, the whole film. Were you aware of him before this? Um, I feel like yes, because I watched it, but I don't know that I've like been tracking his life. So I went down a little bit of rabbit hole of him and I don't, I'm not going to like give him any more platform than he deserves because he's obviously a very extremist. He went from like the feedlot industry to, you know, hardcore vegan. And like you said, 
they obviously found the one vegan rancher out there that is <laughs> so passionate about, you know, destructing the industry he came from. And they did that intentionally, right? They did it to paint the picture of like agriculture doesn't even stand within agriculture. They painted the picture of, oh, this is how someone from agriculture feels about agriculture. So I do feel like it was very, very intentional. I don't feel like they accidentally found him. I feel like they probably intentionally were like, who can we find? I don't care what they are or what they believe, but who can we find that was in the industry and doesn't like it anymore? And we're going to have them on. And lo and behold, they found this guy. Going back to like you at the very beginning, you were like, I don't know why this is still on. Like I, you know, I was very unimpressed. I did. I do feel like I, on some level, was impressed. I think a lot of it you said was very thought out, and I think that's really well. Like I think everything from how they filmed it, how who they picked, was actually really thought out, and I think that's why it was so effective at like motivating people and inspiring, quote unquote, <laughs> inspiring people. Um, so so far we've talked a lot about what they put into the film, but we haven't really talked about like what they missed. Some of the things that I felt like they missed is they don't talk at all about like domestic use of different things like the water conversation. I love to highlight that the largest irrigated crop, quote unquote, in the United States is lawns. Like they don't they don't get into any of like personal use a little bit on the showers. The showers was the only thing that they talked about. They don't talk about marginal lands, which is something big we like to talk about. And they definitely don't talk about the nutritional benefits of animal protein, which I know we covered in Game Changers and, and last month. Um, no discussion of the population increase, like when they're talking about emissions and cattle and all those things and, you know, our impact on the environment. It's like they we have had a booming population in the last hundred years. No mention of that. And they basically just say Animal Ag is funding everything. Like, I, I'd love to know where all this money's coming from to fund everything from Animal Ag. It makes sense to me, though, that they wouldn't dive into some of the stuff. One, because it doesn't help their, obviously, end goal, right? But two, when I heard what that female rancher from California talked about how they didn't understand, like, watershed. She's like, I, ha she's like, I could tell they had no basic understanding of how, like, an ecosystem works, they wouldn't, I don't even think they would like think to investigate into some of these questions or like even have the background or understanding to ask some of these questions. And so when you think about what they left out, I'm like not really surprised at all. Do you maybe want to dive into the Amazon portion? Because they did not leave the Amazon out of this film. They really drove that, that topic home. Oh, let's talk about the Amazon. Let's, let's get into it. Um, where do you want to start with the Amazon, Natalie? Well, I think one of my favorite things that stood out to me, which it's fun that this was 10 years old. I, we were hesitant to cover this because it was 10 years old. We're like, is there one we should pick that is newer than this? But I do feel like Cowspiracy was kind of the one that kicked it all off. Yeah. So, and it's also kind of fun to have this be so far in the past because it stood out to me. One of the Amazon you know, experts or whoever it was that they were interviewing she did the very doomsday approach that everyone loves, you know, the fear and still the fear where she literally said the Amazon rainforest is going to be gone in the next 10 years. Oh, I loved that part. <laughs> if we, you know, we don't change these habits. And I was like, it's been 10 years. It is now 2020, almost 2024. We are here. We have arrived. Let's fact check your doomsday quote stat that you just said. I mean, it's not in the best shape, you know, but I think it's I think it's doing well. We still have the Amazon. You know, I was like, oh, that is great that they actually debunked themselves over time. 
I loved that part too. It actually it made me really glad we chose this film because it it was interesting to reflect back on some of these statements. And I think not to keep going to next month, but like Seaspiracy, they make some pretty big claims of what's going to happen in the next so many years. Not that you've watched it yet, so you don't know, but get ready, they're going to. And um, I will. It'll be interesting to reflect back in ten years. But one of the things that they didn't talk about, and I do think is important, is that agriculture like advancement is actually the largest driver of conservation. So if we can do more with less, so if we can produce more food with less land, that means we can have more in conservation. And nobody talks about that with agriculture, that if we farmed the way we did a hundred years ago and had to feed 9 billion people today with those farming practices, we would need so much more land, which means less land for conservation, rainforest, all of those things. I also thought that the the big organization that they interviewed for this, the Amazon Watch, and they seemed actually like fairly reputable person. They were like, biggest problem is oil and gas. And he basically was like, that's not good enough. So you're lying. (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) Tell me what you're hiding. (laughs) Yes. And it was like, they told you it's oil and gas. One other thing that I feel like didn't age well in this film is, as we know, like Beyond Burger now is a much bigger thing probably than it was 10 years or for sure is than it was 10 years ago. And they talk about how, you know, a big like destruction in the Amazon rainforest is cattle and soy. What's the number one ingredient in the Beyond Burger, Natalie? Mm. I believe it is a soy. Soy. And it was (laughs) like, there we are. We're here again. Here we are at the same conversation. Speaking of beyond, um, beyond me, you know who is an investor in it that is also an investor in this show? Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh my goodness. No surprise there. I don't think that's ever disclosed often enough or talked about often enough is sometimes when these celebrities, you know, promote these products. It's like, it does fund their bottom dollar, right? I mean, Leo is the, Beyond Meat is not the first thing for him to invest in. He's also an investor in a dairy-free milk called Califia Farms. I don't even know Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. There's a plant-powered snack company he's a part of, and then he also is part of a vegan sneaker. So I do think you need to be cautious when you see your favorite celebrity promoting some of these things. Backtrack, like, is there a dollar behind this? Like, do they benefit from this? I mean, people love to talk about animal ag, you know, funding animal ag or whatever when it comes to our sciences, but no one will point out that one of the biggest, you know, anti-animal ag films out there is funded by someone who has investment dollars in something that benefits from no more animal products. It's like, hello. Maybe that should be our biggest takeaway. If there's one thing you learned from um, Cowspiracy, it's follow the money. And in this case, follow the money straight to vegan alternative food alternatives. You know, they had a vegan egg, like an, an egg alternative company that was represented in the film. Like, yeah, follow the money. That's that's actually good advice. Thanks, Cowspiracy. We did that. And we landed at <laughs> your film being there to promote companies that your investors have other investments in. So what were your big take home like points from this film? So I think one of the thing that I ask myself often, and we might've even, I feel like you and I have talked about this before, but I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, but one, I don't understand why this film should still be allowed on Netflix. And two, if it is, I don't understand why it should be filed under documentaries. Like, I feel like that is a very, very misleading term for it. And to go back to when I was talking about the rancher who came out and talked about her experience on it, 
she mentioned briefly in that podcast about how they, I believe this is what she said. I, I didn't rewind it because it was on my computer. But she, I think they went toe-to-toe with the um, producers, I guess. I don't know what to call it. Kip and whatever the other guy's name are. And other people did too. It was like a panel. And it came out and said, like, you twisted our words. This is not what we said. It was unfair that you did this. And so I just feel like, can a film that has been debunked like this, the people who are in it saying they weren't even portrayed correctly, should it still be allowed? Should it be a documentary? I mean, it's, I feel like it's such a big problem. People pull percentages from this, you know, beyond me back in 2018, they pulled the 51% from this movie. So like, it doesn't just stop at the movie. People pull facts from it as factual and spread them around. It's on infographics all over the internet. I agree. And I think that the reason that this film worked as well as it did, as I've kind of been saying, is that it painted a really pretty picture. The world is going to end. Whose fault is it? We, you know, we as the consumers are kind of like the underdogs and we are up against the, you know, the big bad animal ag as that should be like the title of this podcast um, as many times as I said it. But like that, that was a really, really good storytelling picture. And it was like, and here's your call to action to go save the world, save the elephant, save the fish, save water. I mean, it was like you could save the entire planet's problems if you just give up animal ag and animal protein. And so I just, I think we've, we've definitely talked about that, that like it is easier to stop eating a cheeseburger and think you are saving the planet than to stop, you know, single use plastics to reduce, you know, your emissions in other ways to, to call out like the big companies like oil and gas and, and like make real changes this is just an easier solution. And so I think it just was so well wrapped up in this pretty little bow film that you watch from the TV at Netflix at your house on the couch and you solve the world's problems. And I don't want anyone listening to think that we're denying that like animal agriculture is, has a greenhouse gas, you know, footprint that we are not contributing. Like we're not in denial. We're aware that every single industry does and will. I think that's one of our talking points is like, what's the acceptable percentage for an industry that feeds, you know, nationwide 330 million people and globally 9 billion people every single day, three times a day. We are all trying to do better. I think that is a really good point. Like dairy, you know, has set a goal to be carbon neutral or better by 2050. And whether we hit that goal or not, I feel like it's the intentionality behind it. Like we're aware we have emissions. We are aware we could do better. I think all of ag is constantly striving to do better. And so I think that's probably why shows like this are so frustrating to agriculture and to producers, farmers, ranchers is because it's like every single day our job is to try to do a little bit better than we did the day before. And there's it feels like we're not necessarily getting like, I guess, credit for that sometimes. I think the other big picture for me was like what happens in a world where the show that what they're advocating for actually happens, you know? So I think a lot about like the land, like, does it just go to wilderness then? And if so, like who maintains it, you know, land left alone, isn't healthy, at least desertification degradation. There's a lot of problems with it. I'll say this till the cows come home. Animal grazing is one of the five key principles of soil health. And so I feel like they're just missing the really big picture of like what happens if this becomes real life. 
Yeah, and I think one of my last things is, you know, they obviously were like, save the animals, go vegan, which is a narrative we hear a lot. And I think they forget like how unkind nature is. Noting on the nature is kind, because I do think this is not highlighted and portrayed enough. I was listening to a really interesting podcast where they were talking about how hunters will intentionally try to kill off the oldest of a pack. And so for this example, they were talking about how they were hunting caribou. And so the interview is like, that is a really interesting point that you try and target the oldest one. And you, he said, there's ways you could tell with like the horns and different things. And he said, he went on to say, you know, what happens if we weren't hunting that older animal? You know, what does happens to nature? And he was like, well, one example could be that it drowns a river. It has to cross to when they head for like the next season. He's like, another example is the wolf devours it because it's the slowest of the pack. And he's like, it is not pretty. They're not dead right away. You know, it's like a slow, painful four to five day death when you get attacked by, by wolves. And he also talked about like sometimes the animal's teeth will wear down and then the animal will literally just starve to death. And I'm like, these are things that people do not think about. Like nature is cruel. It's a dog eat dog world out there. And you want to paint the picture that like if we don't, you know, have animals and consume them as humans, that they're just going to be frolicking in the fields. And it's not that at all. It's my favorite meme where uh, it's a meme that says um, how vegans think animals die. And it is the deer laying in the hospital bed surrounded by its like deer family. <laughs> and it's like, no, animals are a part of a life cycle. And we're a part of that life cycle too. You know, whether that is like manure being used as a natural fertilizer to like regrow you know, crops and foods and, and rangeland, or whether that is like cattle providing nutrients for us, or whether that is even plants. You know, I mean, they're all of it is a part of a life cycle. And I think we often forget that. And it goes to the point of the more removed we are from agriculture, I think ultimately the more removed we are from actually nature. And we don't understand the life cycle. We don't understand that system that we're a part of, the food system, the, the, the ecosystem that we're a part of. And it actually goes to what that rancher said, that the, the people in putting together this movie had no idea what they were talking about, what it goes into producing our food. and all of the things that go into our food system. No, all they wanted to do at the end of the day, which you need to be cautious about because there are organizations, activists, people out there that put things out there for the goal of just ending animal agriculture and just being vegan. And I feel like that was the ultimate goal of Cowspiracy. And I feel like after the time of 2014, it accomplished it. I feel like now we're in, you know, 10 years later, we have plenty of things out there that are talking about, you know, poking holes in, in the the premise of the film, which is really good and needed. Any closing thoughts? No, I was gonna say, I think that brings us to the end. Um, I know we spent a lot of time like debunking big, I guess, big picture kind of issues with this film. I think there's a lot of stats we could have pulled out and kind of like individual things that we could have dissected. But we, you guys, we did it. We did that on purpose because next week we're actually interviewing Diana Rogers of sacred cow. And that's when we're going to get into kind of some of those, things you might have wanted us to dive into and, and debunk and talk about the numbers and 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 kind of disprove and disargue them. And so that is coming next week. And we're really, really excited for that. Yeah. And while this film didn't want to talk about Regen Ag next week's <laughs> will definitely, which I'm excited about to get into that, talk about it, talk about all of the aspects of animal agriculture and the role they play in, in the positives. So if you guys have not watched Sacred Cow yet um, and you want to, you know, follow along with the podcast as we're, or you want to, I guess, maybe have a reference point as we're talking next week. Good thing to do this week. If you have some downtime would be to watch Sacred Cow. 
Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. We will see you on Thursday.